I want to ask you a question. If I say Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, what are you thinking about? What kind of image does that bring to mind? Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. What? Now, I, I want you to know I'm not much of a royals watcher, but I, I can't help but know some of what's transpired over this last year, right? Uh, if you're not aware, uh, which would be odd, but if you're not aware, Meghan Markle was a, as an actress, American actress, who married into the royal family, and I think she took one look at what was required to be a royal, and she said, I don't think I want any part of that. I don't want all the trappings that come with being a part of the royal family. Um, she didn't want to give up her old life. You see, she, she was told, if you join into this family, you're going to have to die to your old way of living. And she didn't want to do that. What, is, what does that have to do with us? Well, we, we have a relationship with Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ, then you and I are now also part of a royal family. And we're supposed to die to our old way of living as well. Um, the beauty is, I think we have a lot more help in what we're doing than Megan does. And I think we have a lot more privileges than she does as well by entering into that family. So we're going to read uh, from Colossians chapter 3. You can turn in your Bibles there or your, your electronic devices if you want to, to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be spending the bulk of our time in verses 1 through 4. Let me say a word of prayer and we'll jump into our scripture today. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us the way that you do. Lord, that you have called us into a royal family, and, uh, and it has privileges and it has responsibilities. And Lord, we ask that you would teach us uh, this morning by your word and by your spirit uh, so that we might know how to live in a way uh, that touches the eternal. All these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So reading from Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above and not on things that are on earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Four simple points today, and we're going to start. They really just go from verse 1 through 4. We're starting with verse 1. Where is Christ and why does it matter? That's our first point. Where is Christ and why does it matter? Colossians 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and down in verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Jesus Christ is right now at the right hand of God the Father. He is seated at the right hand. That is the place of ultimate power, right? We still use that kind of vernacular when we say, oh, he's my right-hand man, right? What does that mean? It means you're the one who ha is, is the most important. You are at the right hand of the seat of power, and it's, he's kind of parting the curtains to look into the throne room of God, kind of harkens back to Isaiah 6. You can see the throne room of God, and Jesus sits at the ultimate seat of power. Remember, James and John said, Jesus, when you come in your kingdom, we want to sit where? Where did they want to sit? At the right and the left of Jesus. They wanted that ultimate place of power. And so Jesus is sitting there now. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, that ultimate place of power. But there's something else about that. He is the eternal God-man. 
Have you ever really thought about that? You know, we, we think about the fact that Jesus came to earth and he became man, but then we kind of think he gave that up when he went back into heaven. No, he is eternally both God and man. One member of the Trinity is a man. Now think about the implications of that. Let's look at question 21 from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Think about that. One member of the Trinity is fully God and fully man. What does that mean for our advocacy okay it's as if you went to washington dc and you said wow i'd really i'd love to meet the president and then you find out that their chief of staff went to your college and oh and by the way they were in your fraternity oh and by the way it's your older brother and he lets you in to go back into the white house you have total access because It's somebody who is like you. It is someone who is close to you. Your older brother, your adopted older brother, Jesus, sits at the ultimate seat of power. And not only that, he is fully man and fully God, advocating on our behalf. You have access because of him. And not only that, it says that you are hidden in him. We are hidden in Christ. In verse 3, it says that. So what does it mean to be raised with him? He says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated and that we are hidden in him. There, there is, uh, this brings to mind for us Moses being hidden in the cleft of the rock. He says, I want to see your glory to God. And God hides him in the cleft of the rock so that he can withstand, right? He hides him. In this place while he passes by. And we are hidden in Jesus in the same way. We we are enfolded into Christ in a way that's mysterious that I can't really explain, but by being enfolded into him, we can enter into the presence of God and not be burned up. We can enter into his perfect holiness because we are in Christ. He talks about this over and over throughout the New Testament. And so we are actually in the throne room of God with Christ because there's a part of us that's in him. Listen to this verse from John 14, verse 19. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is saying, I'm in the Father. He and I are one, but you're in me and I'm in you. There's this interconnectedness that takes place and there's a connection that we have with Jesus right now. Right now, there's a part of you that is seated with Jesus in the heavenly throne room. Think about that. We can stop the sermon right there. That's enough to celebrate just for today to think about the fact that there's a part of us that is connected to him. But here's the thing. We forget, don't we? We forget that we are connected to him. We forget that that is where we dwell because it doesn't feel like it and we need to be reminded. So point one, where is Christ and why does it matter? Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's at the ultimate seat of power 
And he's our perfect advocate, and we are connected to him. So in light of that reality, we look at point number two. We are called then to seek the things that are above. Seek the things that are above. Verse two, set your minds, or I love uh, one of the other translations says, set your affections on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We're supposed to set our minds on things that are above. Well, what is happening in the throne room of God? What is happening in the heavenly realms? That's hard for us to wrap our mind around, isn't it? Well, I'll tell you one thing that's happening up there is God the Father and Jesus in the heavenly throne room, they are dealing with the eternal. They aren't distracted by temporal things. They're dealing with things that last forever. And they're dealing with the eternal. So what is the eternal in our lives? What, what, what are those things that we touch that are eternal? You know, interestingly, if you look to the, the left and the right of you right now, you're seeing things that are eternal. You are surrounded by eternal beings, even in this room. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. What does he mean by that? You see, the Bible is clear that you and I will go on after this life. We will go on to become immortal everlasting splendors or immortal horrors. If you, he says later on in this quote, which is longer, that if, if you were to meet someone a thousand years or 10,000 years after they rise and they're in the presence of God for eternity, you would want to worship them because they would appear like an everlasting splendor. Or if they've been completely void of the presence of God for 10,000 years, you would recoil because they would be such a horror to interact with. That's what he's getting at in this quote. So we're surrounded by immortals, and quite simply, how we treat these immortals, and when we try to help them experience the freedom that comes from Jesus, then we are seeking the things that are above. You see, the eternal is is more important than the temporal, but then how how do we interact with this? What are the implications of this if, if we're involved with tasks? I know that A lot of our jobs and so much of our time and the things that we do, they involve people and interacting with immortals, but they also involve a lot of tasks and things that we do. Have you ever considered that when you're performing a task that maybe God cares more about how you treat people than about what you accomplish? That maybe he cares more about how you treat people than what you accomplish. Years ago, I was a a restaurant manager and a waiter. I was a waiter first, and then I, I became a manager at an O'Charlie's. Okay, it was right after college, and my wife was in grad school, and, and I think about, I had a task to do, right? My job was to make sure that people had a good dining experience, right? That their steak was cooked correctly, and that they were treated well, and the temperature was right, and that they got quick service. And so I had all of these tasks to perform, and I look back at that time now, and it was such an opportunity. Like, the way that I did my job was such an opportunity for me to show Christ to all of these people as I went about my business uh, in doing that. But I really missed it. I missed it. I was so focused on the task at hand 
that I didn't see the opportunity and I forgot that I was surrounded by immortals the entire time that I had an opportunity to influence. I looked at people as a means as a, to help or hinder in accomplishing my task instead of seeing my task as an opportunity to influence and touch the eternal. And so I missed it. How often do we get drawn into temporal things that really have no value and we forget about the things that we're really called to do, the eternal? As, as a, I was a youth pastor then for 30 years uh, after that, and as a youth pastor, I can remember so many times getting ready to take students on a retreat. And I, would, I couldn't wait to design the t-shirt. You know what I'm saying? I love to get in there and make something really cool, and I would spend all this time on the t-shirt and, and forget about praying for the students that really were going that weekend and what that experience was going to be like. I got distracted by the task, and I forgot about the, the things of eternal value that I was investing in. Maybe some of you, if you're a student here today, maybe you're, you're called to a certain classroom, not because of the grades that you're going to make or the Spanish quiz that you have uh, during the week or the tests, but really it's about the people that are in that classroom that are important. It's about the way that you interact with that teacher or that coworker. Those are the things that God has called us to do that are important. Let's look at this passage from 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. According to the grace God has given me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest or known, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that he has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through the fire." I love this passage. I think about it often uh, as, as a pastor because he's talking, he's kind of pulling back the curtain and he's revealing this investment that we do in eternal things, right? Again, I can get so distracted by things that don't really matter. And he's saying, you're building something with your life right now. He's saying, you can't put another foundation other than Christ. But once that foundation is laid, the way you and I invest in people is either like we're investing with wood, hay, and straw, or we're investing with gold, silver, and precious jewels. When you and I are investing in things of eternal value, we're investing with gold, silver, and precious jewels. But when we get distracted and we invest in these things that don't matter, we're building with wood and hay and straw. And then he says this work will be tested, that it will be burned up by fire, and that fire will test each one's work. You see, as part of the royal family now, we are supposed to be about our father's business. We're supposed to be investing in those things that promote the kingdom instead of those things that are ours. So we've talked about where Christ is and why it matters, and that the result should be that we seek the eternal rather than the temporal, and that leads us to point number three, which is that you have died. You and I have died to our old way of living. Look at verse three. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. The believer is a new creation. You have been born again, and if you are born again, the old 
has ceased to exist. There's an important truth that is, it's, it's a hard truth to hear, but it is this. You're either alive to the world and you're dead to Christ, or you're dead to the world and you're alive to Christ. Let me say that again. You are either alive to the world and you're dead to Christ, or you are dead to the world and alive to Christ. There is no middle ground. No one is partly dead. You are either alive to him or you are dead. And, and this says that we have died. We are no longer bound to this earth. We are no longer bound to the law. We are citizens of heaven. It is as if we have diplomatic immunity. We live in a place that is not our own anymore. We are citizens of heaven. And the laws of this world do not apply to us anymore. That's an amazing reality. The laws don't apply. We don't have to chase after the American dream anymore. Uh, Popularity, wealth, good looks, intelligence, athleticism, these are the things that the world values. But what we value as a citizen of heaven is who God says that we are. That's what's important, is who God says that we are. And that's all that matters. I think of... uh, uh, a character in, in a series, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, The Band of Brothers. It's about Easy Company. It's a, a, an amazing miniseries mini that was produced on HBO years ago. And uh, it's the true story of Easy Company. And there's a character in there, and his name is Lieutenant Spears. Now, this, there, he's a real-life person. This is the actor who played him. But if you've ever seen Band of Brothers, Lieutenant Spears is an important character because there are times when these soldiers go into battle and bullets are whizzing around them and bombs are exploding and it's terrifying and it would be terrifying i can't even imagine what it would be like to be in a in a true battle and yet when they're in the midst of the battle this character or this person lieutenant spears he would just run right at it he would just marshal forces and go in fact there's one scene where he needs to talk to a squad at the other end of a german village and he runs right through the middle of the village tells him what he needs to tell him and runs right back and he doesn't, it doesn't seem concerned at all about what he's doing. And, and eventually some soldiers pull him aside and say, hey, how do you do this? How is it that you're so unafraid uh, of all of the things that are happening? And Lieutenant Spears says this to him. He says, you know, you're dead already. When you realize it, you can operate like the soldier that you were meant to be. See, he had a very fatalistic output. He thought there was no way he was going to survive the war. He was going to die anyway, so he may as well be a good soldier. But we can look at that same statement with spiritual eyes, and we can understand it in a whole different way, right? We can enter into the things that God calls us to do uh, with joy and with courage because we're dead already. We have died to the things of this world, and they no longer have a hold on us. We can live the radical life that God is calling us to. You see, I keep forgetting that. I keep forgetting that I'm dead to the world. I still get distracted by the things that are here. I still will seek satisfaction in the things of this world, only to realize over and over again that they always let you down. They always disappoint And that's one reason why I think worship is so important for us, right? As we come to worship, it recalibrates our hearts to what's real. It recalibrates our hearts to the eternal. So Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and because of that, and the fact that we're dead to this world, we can keep our minds 
on the eternal. And this leads us really to our final point in verse 4, that Christ is your life. Christ is your life. Verse 4 says, when Christ, is, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If you are Christ, then he is your life. And what does that mean? Uh, this is the result of dying to this world and to seeking the things that are above. Now we can live for him alone. Right? We, we remember that we are seated with him and that we're part of the royal family and that we can be the soldier that he calls us to be. When all of these things are in alignment and we can remember that we're dead and we can remember that we are to seek the things that are above, we can live out Colossians 3.23, which says, Wherever, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We can do all things with him in mind and for his glory. One day he's going to come and he's going to complete what he began in you and what he began in me. We won't struggle with this world anymore. Uh, when, when we live in the new heavens and new earth, uh, we, we won't have to forget that we're dead because we are going to be so very alive. What it means to have Christ as your life is summed up beautifully in Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. So in closing, let me just ask you a question. If you're a believer today, do you live as if Christ is your life? Are you aware that you're surrounded by immortals each and every day and the way that you and I interact with them can have eternal consequences? Do we care more about the tasks that we're doing or about how we're going about accomplishing them? Are we investing in things that are going to be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble? You see, unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit reminding us and empowering us to build up with gold, silver, and precious jewels, then it's so easy to forget and to start building with wood, hay, and straw. We need a Savior. We need Him. And He knows we forget. Um, that's why He wants to spend time with us. That's why worship is so important. And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer and and you're like Meghan Markle. You're looking at the outside, you're at the outside looking in, and you're saying, I don't know if I want to enter into this family. I don't know with the restrictions and the rules and the things that you think make up what it means to be a Christian. When the reality is, when you enter into the family of God, that is when you begin to touch the eternal. You were made uh, to, to deal with eternal things, not things of this earth. The world will always disappoint you when you seek satisfaction in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for this reality. Lord, I pray that you would remind us that we have died. We have died to the things of this world and that now we can live and live for you alone. And Lord, we need a Savior. We need you. Help us to seek the things that are above, to see the immortals that we're surrounded by, uh, Lord, and to enter into those conversations, enter into life with them to bring you glory and you honor and praise. In Christ's name we pray, amen.